Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, my guest today is one of the most distinctive voices in the current broadcasting scene. Martin Durkin is a producer, director and writer. You might remember a few years ago, at the time of the referendum, a film called Brexit the Movie. Uh, it was extremely influential for many people. He made that, but over the years as well, he's turned his attention to such subjects as GM crops and Britain's horrific debt and indeed climate change and the environmentalist industry. He's with me now. Martin, thank you very, very much for coming in. Thank you. Uh, so it's a pleasure. It's lovely to see you again. And you. Um, you've actually got a new project coming out, haven't you? You're, you're actually doing a programme about gun culture in America at the moment? Yeah, we're making, in fact, I'm working on uh, uh, two uh, big feature documentaries at the moment. One about uh, guns and freedom in America, yeah. uh, the story of, um, you know, how they're linked, uh, and one on race again in America. So both Amer um, American focused. So why the American focus? And I mean, how does that work, Martin? Are you, have you been commissioned by people there to do these or what? Or No, we're doing some uh, crowdfunding. Right. Um, and, but um, uh, generally, I'm just uh, uh, getting the money together from yeah, anywhere I can to, to make the films. It's slightly, it, you know, over there, um, I suppose I could try to approach broadcasters and say, how about letting me do a couple of really big, noisy, scandalous films? But um, that takes a lot of time and it's very hard to persuade them. So um, these days, because of the internet and so on, you know, it's it's the old power of the gate creeper, keepers, creepers, I should call them gate creepers, <laughs> um, have crumbled and you can do your own thing. So that's what I'm doing. Oh, good. With, uh, you say it's sort of crumbling. This is a... a Fascinating thing, and, and there's crowdfunding and all the rest of it. I mean, you presumably started in television when, at a time when it was much more, um, if, you, if you like, uh, sort of regulated in the sense that you went to a commissioning editor and all the rest, of it, and then basically had to get funding from that, and then you went off and made the film. Isn't that how it happens? That's exactly right, uh, which was obviously... Um, very hard if you happen to be sort of slightly libertarian leaning in your yeah. in your views because you've got to slot in with the views of the um, the institution that you're pitching to. So the BBC, I always had great difficulty uh, uh, getting anything away with. I did do a film in, uh, uh, um, uh, for the BBC once, but um, the crack came with the with Channel Four. I mean, Channel right. Four, we, uh, I did a few. Uh, uh, quite a few films with. Channel 4, of course, was set up by Margaret Thatcher, and part of the remit of Channel 4 was to be countercultural and to, mm. to go against the prevailing wisdom. Um, and so they had to take films from people who didn't sort of quite fit in. Yeah. Channel 4 has historically been, and is, and is today very much, very left-leaning, uh, very woke, as, it, uh, you know, as, as we call it um, uh, these days. Um, but there was, in the past, some sort of uh, sympathetic... Um, commissioning editors in there uh, who would countenance having kind of radical films which didn't fit in with that and so I, I got a few opportunities. Has that changed? I mean you say that in those days you got people who were would take a chance or whatever. Do you, do you think do you think that the perception that the the media world in which you operate has become uh, more uh, closed, if you like, has become less tolerant of new. Do you think that's a, a real perception, a, an honest one? Do you think it's one that is right? Uh, totally honest. I mean, totally, it's a, a, absolutely right. Um, you know, the BBC is um, uh, an, an organisation which 
represents the views of the people who, who, who work at the yeah. BBC, you know, the, the pro-state, uh, big tax, big regulating uh, views of the new class who, 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 who work there. Um, and likewise with Channel 4. It's not, I mean, it's, an, it's not even, a, 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 you know, I wouldn't even say it's an open secret. It's not a secret. You know, everyone yeah. on Channel 4 knows what Channel 4 does. Everyone on the BBC knows that nowhere, no way in the world are they going to do a film on, on the BBC saying uh, the theory of climate change is nonsense. Uh, mm. No way are they going to do a, you know, a, 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 a countenance doing a pro-Brexit uh, film or anything like that. It's 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 very clear that that's what the mainstream media is. Well, with uh, your your movie Brexit, the movie, I went to the premiere of that. That was a, had a big premiere in Leicester Square. I remember, if I remember, it might even have been the week or the week before the actual referendum. Yeah. Um, that was something that you you basically raised the funding for yourself, and and and, and did you not? And I mean, and it, that went out in cinemas, didn't it? Uh, no, we did a, uh, the, the big bash in Leicester Square, which was great, great yeah. fun. Um, and then we uh, put it on the internet, and right. it got—I don't—it went out on a few different platforms. I think it got uh, approaching eight million hits, something like that. I'm yeah. sure they didn't all watch the whole of the film, but um, you know, hopefully, enough of them watched and enough of it that uh, it had it had an effect. Well, let's just actually just take a brief look at it now before we go on. Uh, this is a clip from Brexit, the movie from 2016. The EU, s'il vous plaît. Straight off, there's a snag. On my quest to understand the EU, my first challenge is to find it. There are over 90 EU buildings here in Brussels and a load more in Strasbourg and Luxembourg. As impressive as the modernist buildings is the number of directorates, councils, commissions and ministries which occupy them. But here, the EU slips its first cog. For a democracy to function, there needs to be transparency. Martin, would you ever consider doing a film, here we are, three and a half years later, would you ever consider doing a film, is it the sort of thing you would do, looking at all the things that have happened since and the state we now find ourselves in? I'd be really tempting, because in fact, I'd, I'd, I think I'd make a very different film to Brexit the movie, because things are so much clearer. And I think the, the battle um, for Brexit, the nature of the struggle is, has become you know, much more clear. You know, before it was, oh, should we be part of the EU? Should we not be part of the EU? Now I think it's, it's much more clearly a class struggle. The, yeah. the, the class lines are drawn. And on, one, on the one hand, you have uh, people who are very much part of the establishment, people who are members of, you know, uh, uh, organize, uh, uh, who are in the public sector or who are members of organizations that are paid for out of taxation, whose jobs depend on regulating the lives of others. And they are enormously keen on Europe. They're part of the, you know, the arts establishment, the university establishment. Well, you can tell, you know, when you go to a party, say, who's likely to be Brexit and who's not likely to be Brexit. If you, if you bump into a second-hand car dealer from Essex, they are likely to be Brexit. Yes. You know, if you bump into a sociology lecturer from Hackney, they are likely to be Remain. You know, we know what that division is, and we know that essentially this is a clash between two sets of people with two ideas. One set of people who think that the guardians, the experts, should be in charge of us, um, and they should have the real power, and they love mm. the EU because that is their project. 
um, and the rest of us who would rather not be taxed so much and who thinks that you know perhaps we should control our own lives and obviously that's historically very strong in Britain which is why we're the belligerent ones in the EU you know that the nature of that struggle I think is much clearer now than it was three years ago but it seems to me now that there is this kind of you know a bit like in America they've got Trump derangement syndrome whatever you think about Trump uh, you know I was there recently and there is just totally irrational inability to even talk about it I feel it's, it's not unlike that with Brexit here. That, you know, I mean, we're doing, we're recording this in London. London is a Remainer city. Uh, you work in what is must is a Remainer industry, isn't it? Without question. Do you find that that there is this kind of, just, you know, people are beside themselves with anger about it. I mean, I, I, I found that you know, you talk about class. There've been all sorts of things have reemerged, and not least of all, good old-fashioned snobbery. For example, oh yeah, no, I mean the the snobbish remainers, you know, it what an absolute you know phenomenon that is. Um, I, 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 I know it's an, 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 an entirely right. I mean, the you know the media is you know utterly remain um, um, uh, industry, and the vitriol, the mm. absolute mm. sort of you know, they, 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 their eyes glow red and their tails lash, they're absolutely furious. And it sort of makes me delighted in a way because I realised what an, a huge blow the Brexit vote was mm. to this class. You know, they thought they had things stitched up, that, you know, we were drifting towards the EU. The EU is full of, you know, jobs and grants and the, and, and the general ethos is that of, of those sorts of people being in charge mm. through the, their various organisations and institutions. Um, the intelligentsia, the largely state-funded intelligentsia, yeah. it was, it, it's their project and it was an expression of their power and we have just kicked a great hole beneath the waterline and mm. they are you know, it's almost an existential assault on them. Mm. You know, it is awful. The oiks, the deplorables, you know, are up and at it, you know. And, and um, so the angrier they get, in a way, the more delighted we should be. Yeah. I mean, it is, they've basically had things their own way. Isn't that what it is? I mean, and essentially, suddenly they've been challenged. Yeah, the natives are suddenly, uh, yes. you know, uh, uh, are taking over. And I mean, Martin, you, you know, you, you, you mentioned a being a class thing, um, you know, make an obvious segue maybe, but uh, politically you've been, you know, you started off as pretty much a class-based uh, political activist, didn't you? You were a Marxist for quite a while. Marxist for many years. Um, How many years? I mean, when were you talking like from teenage to what? Adam? Yeah, sort of from, you know, 14, 15. I was, a, I, was I think, was a, a, a very young underage secretary of the Labour Party, young socialist in South Shields and member of the militant tendency and all of that sort of really? thing, got involved in trot organisation. I mean, just have been in, was involved in all of that until my thirties. Uh, right. um, and then it was and, uh, uh, really making a series about environmentalism that made me turn because I realised then that actually these supposed radicals were, weren't in favour of ordinary people at all. In fact, they were quite appalled by ordinary people becoming better off. Um, I realised that you know, selling left-wing mags outside Brixton Tube and all that sort of mm -hmm. thing, I did the works, um, that ordinary working class people weren't interested in buying these, this nonsense about how you know, communism is just the best thing ever. Um, they had far too much sense. It was middle class students 
who were interested yeah. in this. And, I, and slowly it dawned on me, the, the nature of the Green Movement, the, the, the kind of constituency for this politics, that it wasn't, in fact, um, uh, the politics of ordinary people being more powerful and better off. You know, the, the, um, socialism had meant to be about the liberation and enrichment of ordinary people, but actually, greater state power involves the opposite. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, the Greens, of course, who, who proclaim themselves to be radical, loathe people getting richer. They say we should, we are all consuming too much. Gaia can't cope oh yes, with yeah. us consuming too much. And the form of consumption they hate most is mass consumption, yeah. industrial mass yeah. consumption. Well, of course, mass consumption goes with m mass production. This is the very thing that has made ordinary people better off, yeah. spectacularly better off over the last hundred years. Yeah. And so this notion that we're going to go back to handicraft production actually is, uh, these are the whims of well-off people who are actually repelled by um, the prosperity of ordinary people that capitalism has brought. So, so uh, in a sense, I've kept the class analysis, but it's kind of flipped. I feel like I'm more yeah. on the side of ordinary people today than I was when I was a filthy Marxist. On that point, I mean, I, I think it, it seems to me as well that with the some of the environmentalist movement, uh, it's not just a class thing, it's a sort of almost humanity-hating thing. I think they actually sort of don't particularly seem to like people. Before we talk more about it, we're just going to take a look at a clip. This is from Martin's film, The Great Global Warming Swindle. Man-made global warming is no longer just a theory about climate. It is one of the defining moral and political causes of our age. Campaigners say the time for debate is over. Any criticism, no matter how scientifically rigorous, is illegitimate. Even worse, dangerous. But in this film, it will be shown that there is nothing unusual about the current temperature, that the Earth's climate is always changing, and that the scientific evidence does not support the notion that climate is driven by carbon dioxide. Um, you must have ruffled a hell of a lot of feathers with that particular film. Yeah, they got, they, got, they got really cross at that. <laughs> we had lots of Ofcom complaints and it, um, it took a, a long time to handle that. It mm. was, a, that, that was a, yeah, mm. that was very, very bad news. But, uh, you know, it, nevertheless, these are arguments that are never really put. They're certainly not put now, are they? Um, I mean, do you sort of make enemies, if you like, in your industry by doing these these films? Do, do people actually sort of like, well, there's Martin Durkin, you know, whatever? They do. I mean, not the people who know me. I, I think no. when people get to know me, they usually think, oh, my goodness, I thought you were a total devil, but really, you're just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're gorgeous, really. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, there are... Uh, uh, there, there, there is a lot of... Um, I mean, they really do hate it when you... Uh, you know, well, you know it. I'm sure you get an awful lot of it as well. I mean, the intelligentsia, the oh, metropolitan intelligentsia. You know, they 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 might look all nice and polite, but they can be really nasty. Oh, um, and I think off, that yes. I don't mind it so much. My missus really, uh, sort of, it, uh, it it hits her hard, and uh, I, I feel I can take. You know, you go out for a fight. I mean, you're you're a fighter yourself, so you you know you. But um, but you know what it's like when it when it comes back at you. Oh yes, yes. I mean, you though actually put yourself very much at the forefront of your work. I mean, I, you know, so I would say the, the best things because I have to add, obviously, that you've done loads of different things and great programs with Brian Sewell, who I used to know, and things like that. Yes. Um, you know, so there's a huge amount of work you do. But in these big set pieces, Martin, you you are very much there, aren't you? I mean, 
you know, people have called you Michael Moore or kind of Michael Moore of the of the what, I don't know, of the right or of the libertarian right or whatever, but you te- you, you, you're very much the author of your of some of these films, aren't you? I mean... Well, that grew in, that, that happened accidentally because it, I was doing films for Channel 4 way back when, however many years ago now, very old, 20 years ago, whatever. Um, and... Um, it was the, the the lawyers said actually that I have to be in the uh, films because it makes the point that it's a polemical film. Oh, I see. Because um, right, yeah. if you're not in, then you know it becomes voice mm. of God, and uh, then we get more complaints. So if if I'm in, then it's obviously a, a point of view film, and so I was sort of sucked in rather like that. Yes. Not that I'm not sort of utterly gorgeous and deserve <laughs> to be on telly anyway. But, uh. well, how long have you been in television? Uh, generally, Martin, how long? I mean, is it is it always been your career, or did you do other things before? Or? I was in uh, print before, uh, print journalist before uh, uh, TV, and then sort of accidentally, sort of um, uh, 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 fell into TV, yeah. but uh, and uh, never particularly liked it, and then sort of got stuck. And I th- I kept making, I think possibly because I never particularly wanted to be in TV, I kept making um, films that I didn't mind if it was the last film I made, yeah. so not caring. Uh, whether you have a continued career in TV is uh, totally necessary. I think if you're a libertarian, because it is, it's very, you know, it's an industry where, you know, it's not very friendly to libertarian arguments. So you kind of not got to have a, a sort of death wish in order to do these films. Is that what you would actually call yourself now, a libertarian? Is that if someone said, what are you politically? Is it, that's what you are, is it now? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, having said that, I'm sure there are, you know, libertarians like, Richard Wellings, um, who is who would probably say, oh, I think I'm not sure that bit's libertarian and that bit libertarian, but broadly speaking, mm. you know, I think that's a, that, I mean, broadly speaking, I would say you're, you're a libertarian. I don't know whether you would deny that. I think I probably, uh, it's one of those things now, Marshall, I, I d- don't even quite know actually what it means because it seems to mean so many different pe- things to different people. I wouldn't say I'm economically libertarian. No, I quite like institutions, for example, or rather I did like them until Brexit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I think w- w- one thing, you mentioned the, the, the industry there and what people, uh, what people think of, people on the right or libertarian. Um, of all the people who get in touch with me, having seen this show, for example, a um, lot of young people, obviously talented, particularly want to do what you do. Right. They want to be in TV or filmmaking. They want to do things, whether it's fiction or whether it is uh, yeah, drama or whatever, but from a different perspective. Um, you know, what should they do? I mean, it's very hard to tell them. Should they steer clear of the mainstream media now? What should they do? I think they should uh, get their phones out with their, you know, 4 or 5G, whatever yeah. the thing is, and, and um, start to... Uh, 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 make films um, and you, you know, that these days you can get a laptop with a bit of editing kit um, yeah. edit the thing together shove it up and just start absolutely from the from the ground up I mean these days the barrier is not the cost of technology which is really good yeah. the barrier is how, how, how good will the film be mm. have you got something to say mm. um, and, uh, and obviously you've got to kind of work out the best way of saying it you've got to have a sense of theatre and you've got to have a sense of structure and all that kind of thing but essentially, there 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 are fewer barriers um, than there ever were before. So I'd encourage everyone to, you know, you know, just dive in. So it's not really a question. Of, I mean, you know, cause I used to be in television my, myself, and and you used to go into 
ITV or wherever it was, and you said, right, start at the bottom as a gopher and work your way up, become a researcher and all the rest of it. That's not the way really to do it anymore. I mean, there's still an element of that, but I, I think they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. You know, you can always try and get into, and the independent sector is very big as well, and I think that's also a good route. So mm. you don't necessarily have to be a you know, BBC trainee as it used to be uh, um, as, as a way in. Mm. You know, you can you know, hustle your way into an independent much more easily than you can one of the bigger institutions. Yeah. You, know, you ring someone up saying, please, can I, come, can I work for free for a week? And then you turn up early and you leave Yes. Late, and you make sure you make everyone cups of tea. You know, there's, you just hustle your way in. Yeah. Um, the nice thing about the the industry as it's changed is it's become more, more of a kind of hustlers, um, uh, industry. If hustlers, the word I, yeah, yeah, no, you obviously you made Brexit the movie three years ago, and you talked about you know what's happened and the the uh, the anger of the elites, if you like. Uh, how do you, how has it changed your attitude, say, to this country, or has it? What we've seen happening over the past three years has it changed the way you look at Britain? Um, it's made me excited. I mean, I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, a lover of history like yourself. Mm. You know, I, I, I think Britain is a completely great place because there's. Uh, a profound love of freedom here which a lot mm. of countries don't have which a lot of countries on the continental Europe don't get because there's not such a healthy tradition of it you know there's a real tradition of ordinary people having a you know a passionate disdain for bureaucracy and intellectuals mm. and and so on and so forth which I think is is really good and and I think that that's been reviving in recent decades we're much more entrepreneurial I think than we were mm. in the 1950s, 1960s, and 70s. You know, all young kids now. You know, the and the whole of universities is crumbling. Young kids are just wondering whether yeah, do they yeah. really need to go and do these courses? Yeah. Maybe they're just going to set up a little company or do mm. this or do or go straight into a job. You know, so many things are going in the right direction. Mm. Um, and Brexit was such a result. I mean, obviously, it's a battle that hasn't been resolved yet, but I'm hoping that a kind of um, a really freedom-loving kind of, uh, 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 dare I say, more Thatcherite Britain might emerge from this. Um, I'm not sure that I wouldn't like to see Scottish independence because I think that yeah. would do the Scots a, a world of good as well. I think if the Scots had to actually survive on their own money rather than sucking up welfare <laughs> from someone else, you know, actually that would sort of um, get a reality check is what, what Scotland needs. Um, uh, and also it would mean that Britain is uh, England and Wales, Northern Ireland, um, is much more likely to. I'd, I'd love us to become Switzerland, you right? Know, okay. Without the without the music, steady on. Without the music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you you mentioned their universities and how uh, young people thinking, well, actually, should I bother to go? Whatever, you know, huge debt at the end of it. Um, but also, there's something else that's happening, which we've discussed on this program, which is that, um, you know, almost regardless of the money side of things, uh, you know. Many people think that the humanities, particularly, are sort of almost beyond help now, and uh, you know that essentially young people should just go out and read books for themselves, read the classics for themselves, and circumvent the whole thing. Yeah, yeah no, I think uh, completely. I think it's hideous this idea that you have to go through this layer, yeah. Yeah. this sort of set institution at a certain time in your life in order to qualify for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, when you know, 
so often, you know, you're not learning anything particularly useful at all. Is it a time in your life when you, you know, you're not, you're actually more interested in, you know, chasing people around in order to kiss them and, you know, drink lots of beer or do whatever else they do these days and not learn. You know, it's, it's, it, I would love to just stick a bomb under these institutions. They seem, for the most, I mean, a lot of them, the commercial side, I can see, if you want to learn about mechanical engineering, if yeah. you want to build a bridge, if yeah. you want to know about hotel management or that sort of thing, those sorts of courses are really useful and they produce people usually who are you know, fairly sensible. The arts courses, which aren't remotely useful for the most part and just produce more you know, protesters on climate marches and all that kind of thing, yeah. you know, I just think, what a waste of time. You, you started uh, by talking about uh, fact that you love the fact we've become more entrepreneurial and whatever and this is you know this is something that's definitely a, a good thing um, I mentioned in the introduction Thatcher death of a revolutionary which is I think uh, one of my favorite films that you made I and mean, you feature in that too uh, let's just uh, take a quick uh, look at a clip of Thatcher death of a revolutionary there are so many things that um, she did that people say they wouldn't reverse and yet she still hated where there is no rationale for changing a, a main avenue of policy, why change it? There's, no, there's absolutely no point in doing it. Uh, I mean, Mrs. Thatcher didn't denationalize. So right. No, she wasn't right. What her friends and enemies seem to agree on is that the Thatcher Revolution, as it became known, changed Britain forever. I was someone who grew up in the 1980s and watched what she did very difficult decisions and as I said she was absolutely on the right side of the big arguments and in a way the biggest legacy and testament to her was that the governments that came after her, even though there were Labour governments that had complained bitterly about what she had done they kept what she had done. Uh, Martin in that film the basic thesis of it is that Thatcher was actually a, an extraordinary radical for working-class people and and you know you've got these great pieces in it where you see quotes from the intelligentsia of the time Jonathan Miller and Lady Warnock and people like this and the things they said about Thatcher you know um, you know extraordinary but she just she didn't care didn't she that was that was the wonderful thing about her. there's a wonderful clip in it where you're interviewing Kinnock and uh, saying what would you change back you know if you you know he was leader of the opposition what would you change back from what Thatcher did and he just is silent, isn't he? He's just quiet. He can't. He's he's got no answer. Yes, well, I find it's very easy to beat in in arguments. Uh, um, well, Neil Kinnock, <laughs> but also um, a lot of socialists in general um, and members of the intelligentsia on the subject of Brexit or climate change, or because by and large they're never challenged. You know, they yeah, they, yeah. they they have control of for the most part the media. They have. They read their newspapers. They talk to each other. They, you know, in, in, inhabit their world, um, and there rarely are, does anyone come and just state the bleeding obvious to them. In, yeah. And when you do do that, they often, um, as Neil Kinnock, look as if someone's just pulled the plug out. Yes, exactly. With, with the films that you're you, you're doing now, or about uh, you know that you're about to do, you mentioned the, about the gun culture and also about race. Is that right? You know, are th are these going to be authored films? Uh, they will be. Yeah. They will be. Yeah. 
you, can you tell us anything about how you're going to approach them or not, or is that not fair? Yes, I mean the uh, the guns film is going to be pro gun. It's right. going to be is going to be a, a defence of the Second Amendment, and it's going to say that the argument is essentially a question of where sovereignty lies, rather like Brexit. You know, should yeah. the state have a monopoly of force, or should ordinary people have the right to be armed? And it will go into history to show how um, uh, you know the the, the 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 popular possession of guns absolutely is tied up with. Um, individual freedom um, and the attempts to deny the right of ordinary people to be armed is entirely you know connected with tyrannical government right. um, and it looks at the America today and looks at you know the, the the ownership of guns the the problem of the murder rate the, you know who's shooting who and why and all the circumstances around it but um, I've no doubt I'll get a good kicking for uh, I was gonna say it's been a bit of a hard sell surely at the moment I mean I would have thought well I I, I, I mean you might think so but I I'm, I don't think so I think no. it's a really strong argument about uh, uh, guns um, if you look at the the, the murders that go on in America, the the the, um, the, uh, uh, the, the um, people killed by guns, the atrocities form it, uh, although utterly awful, form a tiny, tiny, tiny percent, by well, point one of a percent of the people yeah. killed by guns in America, um, and atrocities happen all over the world. So in fact, you know, you can't simply link you, either that association is 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 not straightforward. The, um, and where gun ownership is really strong in, say, Missouri, you mm. often have a you know a tiny murder rate. You know, mm. it's sort of lower than Cornwall. So, you know, it's sort of mm. it's, it, that's mm. not where the problem is happening. The problem is happening in the welfare areas of America, where mm. everything is broken down to such an extent that you know the drug economy has taken off. You know, an Ill illegal economic activity where no contract will do and so violence comes in. and in those circumstances um, uh, you know you will the murder rate is awful and you know among African-Americans the murder rate is absolute but actually if you scratch the surface that's really the welfare problem if you right, if you right. the welfare problem is awful in America it's awful in a lot of countries but it's it's, it's particularly bad in the US among those and really you know you've got to strip away that problem but ultimately, you know, the question is, where does sovereignty lie? And um, I think this is an aspect of the, the the gun issue that people in Britain don't quite get, or d they don't appreciate. It's, uh, they think it's sort of like an issue. Maybe I don't know, like fox hunting or something here. But it's really a principle thing, isn't it? It goes right to the heart of absolutely yeah. profound in America, because the very yeah. basis of it was, you know, the attempt yeah. by the you know, British Crown to take the guns off ordinary Americans, because you know you can't keep people down if um, uh, if they're armed yeah. that is one throughout the Middle Ages the serfs were not armed and the serfs were kept in place but as soon as you have uh, a population with guns you cannot keep them down this was the anti-slavers were very keen on the Second Amendment because they knew that if African-Americans got guns you could slavery would die yeah, yeah. you and in fact gun ownership played a huge part in the civil rights um, a, a movement, the long civil rights movement in America, because it was when blacks got guns that really the problem started uh, uh, in the South, and they couldn't. Uh, and, it, and that connection went right through to the civil rights movement in the middle of the century. Mm. You know, Rosa Parks, you know, was very confident that she wasn't going to get messed with, actually, because everyone in town knew that her father had a lot of guns. 
Right, okay. No one was going to mess with the parks because right, you know he wasn't right. going to put up with it. And that, and in a lot of places in the south, um, the clan would come riding into town and then suddenly be confronted with a lot of African Americans with guns prepared mm. to use them. And that's what stopped the clan going into towns. Um, so there's a, an, even today, if you look at uh, uh, um, uh, attitudes towards gun ownership, there's much they're much more positive. People are very much more pro-gun within the African American really? community yeah, than, yeah. In the, um, um, uh, than in the mm. white. I hate all that black and white yeah, stuff. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. it, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a feature-length film. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, I think we've got a, a link actually we can give people. Uh, I think it's uh, you've got a Kickstarter or something that you can. We have and a wonderful trailer with some because we've done some of the interviews already with some oh, right. great people like Larry Elder and Walter Williams and a, a, a whole, whole bunch of people who are, okay. who are fantastic interviewees. And with your other films, if people want to see them, Martin, like, you know, we've got, I've got, uh, being so terribly old-fashioned, I have them on, di on uh, DVD here. We've got The Great Global Warming Swindle, this one, and then a, f a wonderful one, Britain's Trillion Pound Horror Story, which does actually change the way you look uh, at the future. Um, but these can be seen online, is that right? as well can um, they? I think I think they're online I think they've been pumped in pirated and shoved online right so go and watch the pirated version <laughs> online. Okay. I think right. the DVDs are available through Amazon as right. well right okay well Martin thank you very very much all the very best with the new films thank you very much for Peter thank today. you so much no, for having me and Pleasure. good to see you again great uh, thanks so much for watching so what you're saying is please remember to subscribe I say it every week but that's because I mean it um, see you next time. Thank you.